Today, we interview Richard Brown on three cognitive problems that don't improve with stimulant treatment of ADHD. Welcome to the Carlite Psychiatry Podcast, keeping psychiatry honest since 2003. I'm Chris Aiken, the Editor-in-Chief of the Carlite Psychiatry Report. And I'm Kelly Newsom, a psychiatric NP and a dedicated reader of every issue. Up to 50% of people with ADHD have other cognitive problems that get in the way of full recovery. We caught up with psychiatrist Richard Brown at his home in upstate New York to understand them. I feel like we can help patients with ADD better than any other diagnostic group in psychiatry. I mean, stimulants work for many people. You know, you'll see different things in literature, 60 to 80%. But of course, there are side effects, and I get to see the ones who don't respond. You know, the other thing is they only help certain aspects of ADHD, and a lot of other stuff remains. What kind of symptoms tend to remain after stimulant use? Well, I think there's still a lot of executive system dysfunction and higher level cognitive issues. And then, of course, there are comorbid conditions, whether it's dyslexia or processing things. Two things I, I, I try to ask all of my patients to get neuropsych testing one way or another. I mean, it can be expensive privately, but like in New York, I have them go to a graduate school of psychology and be tested by somebody who's got a really good supervisor, for example. That's one way of bringing the price down. And what I look for is processing deficits and which kind of processing problems they have, as well as working memory. So two of the biggest comorbid problems I see are slow processing of certain kinds of material, either visual or verbal or both. That can be really tough in school or at work. And then dyslexia often relates to that because I see it as partly a processing problem. And then the other thing is, decreased working memory. And decreased working memory correlates with poor performance in work or school. For those of us who haven't done the testing, can you tell us what would give you a hint in a patient that they had each of these three deficits from their everyday life? So it requires a tester who, so when, when patients or parents often ask, what is working memory? I say, on your computer, there's a clipboard. And your own brain has a clipboard, and it can keep certain things in active play when you're trying to solve a problem. And the average for most people is around three to seven things at one time. But you do better if you keep it toward the higher end of the range. You know, so many of the people I see with ADHD or ADD, inattentive, have major problems. You know, they may have a hard time keeping three things in mind. You know, and I ask for a history of dyslexia. I ask them, you know, do they have trouble taking notes in class? People with dyslexia have difficulty reading or processing what they hear in a lecture or read in a book. Their mind reverses letters and numbers as they read, visual dyslexia, or doesn't accurately process sounds, verbal dyslexia. And about one in three people with ADHD have dyslexia, and the rate is higher if we count all learning disorders like slow processing speed. To screen for dyslexia, ask your patient if they have trouble reading or taking notes in class. If they do, ask if they do better when they are hearing the information or reading it. Yeah, so sometimes they can't follow a spoken lecture, but they can read it better. 
And that can, that can also make a difference in terms of career choices. I remember years ago, a patient was, it might be, it might have been a case example in, in the book on non-drug treatments for ADHD, where the guy came to me with, he was sent by a clinician for treatment-resistant depression. And I interviewed him and I felt like he's not depressed, but he's very unhappy with his life and his career. He was a photographer. His parents had to keep giving him money to keep it going. When I interviewed him, I began to feel that there was something subtly wrong. And when I looked at his pictures, it was like he wasn't good at creating the picture for his clients. And I sent him for neuropsych testing and said, I think there's some brain damage here. And let's see how he actually compares to other people in terms of processing visual information. And it was interesting that they found a spot in the cortex, in the vertex, where he was like zero ability at looking at and absorbing visual information. And if you're trying to have a career as a photographer, that would be the last deficit you'd want to have. And his parents somehow, I guess he liked taking pictures when he was a child. And they thought, oh, he'd be a good photographer. And they pushed him to do that. And it was just the wrong thing. And he had to get some career counseling, change careers. And then he was totally fine. It wasn't a matter of giving him a more powerful set of antidepressants, in other words. Let's pause for a preview of the CME quiz for this episode. Start earning CME through the link in the show notes. What cognitive domain describes the small amount of information that can be held in the mind while performing a task? A. Processing speed. B. Auditory processing. C. Anterograde memory. D. Working memory. Dr. Brown highlighted three areas of executive dysfunction that he looks for in ADHD. Each of these problems can occur on their own, but they are also more common in ADHD and they don't respond as well to stimulants as the classic ADHD symptoms. To recap, they were working memory deficits, auditory or visual dyslexia, and slow processing speed. Dr. Brown estimates that half of people with ADHD have at least one of these deficits. Let's get into that last deficit more. On the one hand, processing speed is simple. It is the time it takes to perceive, process, and respond to information, and it reflects how quickly someone can get things done. We see problems with slow processing in ADHD, as well as autism and other psychiatric disorders. But it's slightly different from another word that you'll hear tossed around in ADHD world, that is, sluggish cognitive tempo. This has been proposed as a subtype of ADHD, and though it's not recognized in DSM, there is ADHD research building on it, including a recent controlled trial where Vivance improved sluggish cognitive tempo in ADHD. So sluggish cognitive tempo is different from slow processing speed, but there is some overlap. It includes slow processing, but is much broader. Its core features are excessive mind-wandering, zoning or spacing out, mental confusion and fogginess, 
low physical activity, and drowsiness. Part of the art of psychiatric nomenclature is choosing neutral names that don't imply any blame or judgment. And the word sluggish doesn't really fit that bill. This year, an international group gathered to think of a better name. And the new term they've arrived at is cognitive disengagement syndrome. I guess they think it's better to be disengaged than sluggish. Well, I'm not sure I agree, but for now I understand that both mean the same thing. So how would slow processing speed show up in work or the classroom? Often they will have trouble completing an assignment or a test on time. They're always late and they don't have enough time to answer the questions. Yeah, there could be other reasons for that. Yeah, like I would just think that was ADHD, but it could be slow processing. Oh, yeah. But they go together often. And the other thing is, is often they don't understand, well, I'm getting by, especially if they're intelligent. You know, why do I, why should I work on my processing? And I'm like, well, it doesn't just go into your work at school. Is there a sport you like to play, whether it's tennis or soccer, and you will be able to make a connection with the ball much better when your processing is better. There's some new studies on vitamin D in ADHD. Are you familiar with those? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, many people, many researchers in the area, most of whom are PhD or MD, PhDs, see vitamin D as a hormone. And there's been a lot of research showing that vitamin D levels are low in many different health conditions. And there have been many studies giving large amounts of vitamin D in those conditions, and very, very few have shown positive results. And so a recent review of the vitamin D data was titled, D is for Disappointment. And what a lot of the researchers are coming down to is that your vitamin D level can vary depending on what latitude you live at, A, B, how much you're outdoors and how much skin you've got exposed. And that it's more importantly, probably a marker for health than being outside. It's, I, I know a lot of people think it's going to cure everything right now. And I, I have patients that come in, they're being given 50,000 units of vitamin D every week or every month. I think that there's going to be a big reassessment of it. If you test somebody in Africa, their vitamin D level is, pardon the pun, sky high. It's hard to show. I mean, let's say different populations adapt to their sun exposure in different parts of the world, depending on your climate. And we know most everybody in the upper tier of the U.S., we're going to have low vitamin D levels. And besides, most of us live like moles, working as professionals indoors, except for a few weeks uh, where we can get outside more. How about light box for, do you look for seasonal ADHD? Do you see seasonal? Ah, okay. Yeah, that's really important. I'm glad you brought that up. So I found years ago, I was using light box because I was doing research on melatonin. I started prescribing light boxes. And I was getting referred a lot of patients with wintertime worsening of depression, especially bipolar 2 depression. But what I also found was a lot of my patients with ADD, who also had wintertime worsening of depression, and of course, some researchers believe, and I believe, that ADD correlates more than randomly with bipolar spectrum disorders. It's not a one-to-one thing by any means, but it's more than random. And what I found is a lot of my ADD patients said, Doc, that light is helping my brain work better with my ADD. And I was like, okay, it's probably working at multiple levels. And so it's not a simple one transmitter thing. 
but it's organizing the brain to work better. Richard Brown is a clinical professor of psychiatry at Columbia University and the author of over 80 peer-reviewed articles and books including Non-Drug Treatments for ADHD by W.W. Norton. He has a private practice in New York and is also a certified teacher of yoga and meditation. Read his full interview in our August 2022 issue. Want more from the Carlite Podcast? Search for the podcast series, The Anti-Hero's Journey by Ben Doc Askins. The November 1st episode features an interview with Dr. Aiken where he reveals how he got into psychiatry and what keeps him inspired in this work. They dig into keto diet, circadian rhythms, psychiatric blunders, punk rock, good parenting, and psychedelics. And as always, earn your CME for this episode through the link in the show notes.